So hi everyone. That's okay. There's people in the future watching this. And welcome, Mr. And I'm going to say this poorly because Flacco got in my head. Model Pina. Uh, it is great to have you here, Mr. City Councilor of Snowden District of Montreal, NDG Cotonesh, part of the city candidate. Hey, what's up, everybody? Nice to be here. Thanks a lot, Holden, for having me around, man. Yeah. Thanks for the time to uh, give me. But welcome to Bridge the Gap, where typically this is the show where we like to walk through the lives of super interesting individuals such as yourself. Um, I would argue that running for city councilor makes you interesting. I mean, other people might not agree with that because it is what it is, but we're trying to rectify the situation. Typically, we talk to a lot more on the creative professional spheres and, and look for a bunch of knowledge nuggets in the experience based off of their lives. And so we're going to basically try to replicate that with here today. I've come to see politicians ain't rappers. It's not the same thing. It's a little different. But end of the day, um, I'm selfishly motivated to try to um, leverage the the fact that there's no English media and participate in the process to like solve that. Because at the end of the day, every time a, a Montreal election rolls around, I've never heard a conversation about it. As in, not a campaign issue not a, a person's name unless there's some spicy stuff like like i'll be honest a couple of people in ndg are a little spicy right now so outside of that kind of thing so most words like corruption or whatever are being used if you ever hear about anything you don't know who anyone is you just see some faces sometimes and then you go vote and you're like oh i guess that party you probably and then you just pick name you know it's not a good system and then the voter turnout rates are pretty bad and everybody says the same thing i don't want to go vote if i'm not informed touche me neither and then you google and it's pretty bad because what english media is there so here we are and i'm trying to talk to as many english candidates i guess or create english media to support at least this part of town which is pretty english so with that it's super cool to have you here and uh yeah what's up what's up little alice in the chat so yeah it's super cool to have you here and as much as um i don't know how much you want to get to people to know you but everyone else that you're going to talk to is probably going to be a little different than me so just assume that all this other people are going to ask you a lot of things i might not so you don't have to stress about that if you know it's a cliche question instead this is the opportunity for the world to see who you are as like a person in a regular conversation with somebody that is not exactly like a regular kind of media so with that I'm hoping you could start us off and let us know where the story of Mauro uh, initiates. Like, where are you born? There you go. You said it right, actually. Mauro. <laughs> I've been trying. So, uh, <laughs> my legal name is Mauricio. Mauricio Peña. Mauricio in Spanish. Uh, but I go by Mauro. Because it's my, uh, my mom gave me that nickname as a kid, and I used to not like it. And then it just grew on me, and then eventually it just it became my nickname. And... You know, those closest to me, that's how they know me. And a couple of years ago, I decided to, you know, quote unquote, take the name public. And uh, <laughs> that's just been me ever since, you know. Um, I'm uh, I'm born and raised in uh, Cotonej, basically. I, uh, yeah, man, uptown, you know, on Linton, right by the Jewish, you know, that's where we're from. And uh, my parents actually, they, uh, they immigrated from El Salvador in 1979. And they went and found Linton Street, and they stayed on Linton Street since 1979. <laughs> so we're going on three generations that are on or off, right off Linton, which is Van Horn. 
that's three generations of us in the hood. Yeah, straight up. That's pretty big, man. So, I'm, I'm just going to have to ask, uh, since you're around there, what, what high school did you go to? Did you go to high school? So, I was not... I <laughs> My elder sister was, a uh, at the time, uh, influential uh, adolescent, so to speak, uh, with a certain crowd. <laughs> and uh, my parents wanted me not to be influenced by that crowd, so they sent me to... Mount Royal High School, town of Mount Royal. So we so called weird. it affection. Yeah, we called it TMR. That's the school I went to. It's right by Kenora train station. And uh, it was a very, very interesting experience. It was a multicultural, like in, I mean, we had Caribbean people, we had Asian people, we had Greeks, we had Latinos. All this to say, when there were soccer games, it was pretty intense among everybody. <laughs> you had to pick a side. So, like, when you were young, what kind of stuff were you up to as a little one? Do you have any hobbies or, or things like that that you, you got yourself in, involved with as a little <laughs> motto? Yeah. So, uh, I, was a, I was a very uh, very good, quote-unquote, kid, good a kid. You know, I, uh, I, I, I had a lot of books. I, uh, I went to school and back. I didn't hang out with anybody. I went to church. The, uh, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a very strict Catholic upbringing. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I uh, I did my first communion and my uh, confirmation at the uh, Saint Pascal Belon Church. It's a big church on uh, Cotonège Road, right by the plaza. And uh, I was the uh, the uh, altar boy. Yeah, I was going to say choir boy. I was the altar boy for the priest for years. And then I went to. Can uh, I gotta ask a question? I'm, I'm not Catholic like that. I did go to church, but I went to the kind of church that doesn't have altar boys. In like a non-comedic sense of the question, what does an altar boy actually do? So basically, when the when the priest was was about to do a prayer, I knew which page to turn the Bible to, and I would bring him the offerings, and I would like sit next to him. You know, I was kind of like the right hand, the left hand. I was like the number one groupie in a sort of way, you know, and that, that's that's who I was, you know, and I was that until I was about 13, maybe, and I found a way out of that lifestyle, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's fair. The, the escape was, was uh, my mother gave me the option. I love my mom. I love my mom. I love my dad, too, but I love my mom. She gave me the option, and she said, uh, you're going to the cadets or you're going to the cadets. So you heard that right. Which cadets? You heard that. I was, uh, first I started with the Air Cadets, uh, Squadron 96 uh, in uh, uh, in, uh, in Villeray. Okay. So every Saturday morning, I had to wake up at like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., depending on the day, on the, on the weekend. And uh, I had to make my way all the way to Villeray. Uh, and uh, there was like this school, I forget the name of the school. And uh, in the gym, we spent our whole Saturday doing drill exercises, learning how to shoot, uh, you know, learning basic military stuff. And Yo, I okay. did that for. This is amazing. Yeah. I did that for two years, so, and then I went to Army Cadets in Cotonège. Right. Army Cadets in Cotonège, sorry, where I uh, <clears throat> I became a uh, I rose the ranks to become a sergeant, and then I had a troop of kids uh, around me. I was a kid myself. I was fifteen, right. No, cadets is serious great. though. Like, if anyone ever wants to invalidate it, um, I did cadets for five years. I did not. 
I, I wasn't a well-behaved cadet, and I learned the hard way that if you talk a lot of shit and you don't necessarily follow the rules and you don't do the haircut, you know, the haircut thing, my guy, like the haircut thing with the every fucking week, whoops, I'm not supposed to swear as much on these ones. I'm like, it was a lot, and then a lot of discipline, and then the polishing your boots. I will never forget the polishing of the boots and the ironing. And Anyway, but yeah, it, it is kind of like that. You get a lot of basic leadership um, training and a lot of citizenship <clears throat> I will frequently flex about like the tiers of government and all that because I know what it means. But the only reason I know what it means is cadets because I never learned that in school. <laughs> yeah, cadets is a great way for kids to, uh, you know, to, to let out that extra energy they have, you know, pent up and a uh, great way for them to learn leadership skills and civic duties and, you know, just prepare them for what comes next. You know, I have a lot of cadet friends that ended up going to uh, to, uh, to political science uh, degrees. I have a few cadet friends that ended up you know, finding a career within the military itself as well. It's uh, it's a great uh, centre de formation, quote unquote, <laughs> for young kids. Yeah, and you get free shoes if you go to camp. That was cool. I mean, the yeah. no, I mean the camps were actually wicked. I, I don't know if you ever did the camps. I did. I did. I flew. A, I flew. A, what's it called? The um, it was a glider. It wasn't a plane. It was a glider, right? And there's a pilot in front of me. They're so cool. And they like plane and they lift you up in the air and then they just let go and then the guy in front of you you know he's like all right go ahead you learned this in class and then you're like uh <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile he's in total control but you know you feel like for like 20 seconds you're like you gotta rush you know i know one time i hit the button like you push the foot pedal and the plane moved even if he was in control i still pushed the button and the plane moved <laughs> yeah 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 it was fun. It was fun. Where did you go to cadets? Sorry. I went to one West Montreal squadron, which was uh, Westmount. Um, nice. And then after four years, when I was about to go for that pilot's license, we moved to the West Island, and I had to switch to the one at um, whatever it was, Riverdale or whatever. The high school is there, 803, I think. And, uh, yo, there's a lot of internal politics in cadets. Right? So, like, when you're 17 – you're not competing with the people who just put five years in at that squadron to go to the fancy camp. Nah, it's over for you. So it was over for me. It was like I got robbed of a pilot's license because my parents decided to move. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I it's missed, a great experience. I forgot about cadets entirely, but yeah, that's a real thing that people do here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'll probably send my kids if I ever have any kids there. I mean, it's a great way to keep them busy and, uh, you know, like I said, teach them some leadership leadership skills, like you said facts um so that's fair so you're doing cadets in high school i guess that eats up all your time because yes it eats up like a ton of time um so what what like i guess happens after high school where do you proceed to venture off next so in high school i did theater class uh i was like uh i was a i was an artsy kid i did music i was in orchestra i sucked at it except for one instrument i played five instruments i played the uh the trombone, the trumpet, the electric bass, uh, a euphonium, and something else. I don't even remember at this point. So let's put four, because those are the four I remember. Uh, let's put four. <laughs> I was actually good at two out of four, uh, which was the trumpet and the trombone. And I loved playing that in music, music class. Like, I was really, I, you know, I discovered late in life I had ADHD. So, you know, it made sense why I did so many things as a kid. And uh, <laughs> one thing that happened was um, I ended up doing theater at the same time as I was doing music. And that gave me like a bug to do something else. You know what I mean? I did a, a play called uh, Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme. It's a Molière play. 
and uh, I had like three roles in it because you know I I love doing that sort of stuff, and so Hold you on. know that's when I started. You're the guy yeah. that like is like let me be like a little set change in the back, switch your hat, come back out in the front, do the next part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Switch makeup, switch wardrobe, come on back. I was just in the scene. That was me, man. And I did. Uh, I used to do also school radio. Uh, so you know, I used to do the announcements. I was that guy. You know, your school I was, had a school radio. Yeah, at lunchtime we used to play. Uh, we used to play like reggae in the basement and everything. And like you know, this was like around 1998. So like DMX was hot. You know, dancehall was coming up between 98 and 2001, 2002. It was insane, man. It was it was a great experience, honestly, being at at Mount Royal High School. <laughs> honestly, I know. I didn't even know any of the high schools had shit like radio up inside of this, yeah. to be honest. That was like, say a word. That's a nifty set of experiences to get. So I guess, yeah. the, where does that bring you after high school then? So that left me trying to figure out what I was going to do to, you know, make a living, right? And uh, I actually almost became a, uh, a cop because I decided that I'm going to be, I did an internship at the SPVM. And I was like, I'm going to be the guy that's going to go to the cops and become a police officer. I'm going to be a quote unquote good cop. And uh, I, I got all excited. I shared the news with my parents and they told me we didn't immigrate here for you to become a cop. <laughs> so uh, I figured, you know, my, uh, my, my curious and rebellious side said, I'll figure something out. And uh, I found the only other program that you could do in order to go to Nicolet, which was the cop school. And that program was paralegal technology. And that's where another chapter of my life started. And that was about 18 years ago, more so, or less. So you go to paralegal school is what I'm understanding from that. Yeah, I went to O'Sullivan College. It's a three-year technical diploma. And uh, I was able to do basically what is essentially like a pre-law school class, a pre-law school three-year technical diploma, uh, because a lot of the graduates from that program end up going to law school. They become notaries or, or lawyers, uh, or you can become a paralegal. Uh, having no idea what a lawyer was, because you know, growing up in the hood, the only lawyer I ever heard of was you know Uncle Phil, who became a judge. You know. I had no idea what a lawyer was, what a lawyer did, you know? So I went and became a paralegal. I said, I got to work, you know, I'm 21 years old. I got to, I got to make my own money. You know, I got to got my own place. I was dating someone at the time. Long story short, I did the program. I started a year at the uh, Concordian Poli Sci and History. And halfway through the year, I realized I needed to work. <laughs> I just wanted to work. So I dropped everything and I started working and, uh, that's where uh, the, the other chapter, like I said, the other chapter began. I, I started working right around the time of the 2008, um, like fiscal, like financial crisis. That's when I started, when I entered the job market, so. And you entered the job market as a paralegal or something yeah, else? Yeah, I entered the job market as a paralegal in uh, an industry called banking and financing and real estate uh, law, pardon me. And uh, what that basically is, is we do what, what are called due diligence checks. So a company needs financing, they go to a lender, the lender has their legal counsel. The legal counsel team is composed of a lawyer, a notary, a paralegal, and other people. I ended up, you know, scouring their records, looking at what property they have mortgaged, you know, hypothecated, because that's the proper term, it's not mortgage, hypothecated, 
I look at their litigation uh, cases that are pending, cases that are settled. I look at their bankruptcy status. Have they declared previous bankruptcy? Are they in good standing? I look at uh, the same information in different provinces. So a lot of uh, real estate documentation as well. Do they own the land? Have they, have they hypothecated the land to another lender? Uh, you know, I look at acts, acts of acquisition. So if person A tells me they own the plot of land and then I do my research and I find out, wait, it turns out, but you don't own land. Hmm. You know, you're trying to commit fraud. I was the guy that basically did all that research, did that report and gave it into the lawyer and the lawyer, you know, you know, did what they needed to do from there on out for their own, for their own purposes. So, so that was me. So in like a lawyer show, you're one of the people that are scuttering around in the background while the lawyers are having drama. <laughs> I was basically like Rachel Zane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's put it that way. I was that person. I was like high strung, stressed out, running from A to B, one in, last one out. You know, I work with some great people. I work with some uh, very talented, intelligent people that, uh, that showed me a lot. You know what I mean? And I was very fortunate because uh, in, in the legal industry, people don't teach you. You're just supposed to know. And you're supposed to figure it out if you don't know. And uh, that's I was not just the legal industry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I'm speaking from my own experience, right? I can't talk about other industries. So, <laughs> but I hear you. I hear you. It's it was a... like my first meeting in corporate land, and was like they walked in, and there were so many three-letter acronyms thrown around that I didn't know what damn thing that got said in that meeting. Oh man, I I, I understand. I've been the person where you ask yourself, should I ask questions or should I just stay quiet? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so I guess so, it's it's pretty practical for you to have a bunch of experience in real estate, given your party's uh, focus on housing and stuff. That's, that's a powerful asset to bring to the table. Um, and you basically were running this like is that what you do for this whole time or were you working for somebody and then it kind of just evolves into something else how, how does the the story of of you progress over the years like that so i when i started as a paralegal i knew nobody in the industry and i didn't know where my career could go i felt like i was missing some guidance uh i wanted to know what my ceiling was so i did a lot of research on my own uh, I stayed for uh, my first years of my career at a, at a place that, that, that gave me a solid base, taught me a lot. And from there on out, you know, I tested the market. I was made a lot of interesting offers. Uh, you know, the, the more interesting offers came in with better conditions and, uh, you know, more exciting roles. And, you know, one thing led to another. Uh, and I gained experience working at a, uh, at a big company called uh, SNC Lavalin, uh, where I worked in the department. I pitched, we so pitched I, them a PDF. Like we did like a, a demo for them and we pitched them as a PDF software. I was like doing the fuck, the, the demo in French for them. I, uh, you know what? I, it was a great company. It was a great experience because it allowed me to be, be based in Montreal and deal with people all over the world, all over the world. So, you know, I had colleagues in Chile. I had colleagues in the States, in different States, in Miami, in Tampa in uh you know in texas in uh, pennsylvania west virginia etc cetera, etc cetera, you know all over the world so i'm used to working from one location and dealing with various stakeholders spread out throughout the world that's nothing new to me so he's used to remote work before remote work was cool that would be a better yeah. way to put it <laughs> exactly that's why you have the show man <laughs> i mean well put 
I mean, that's what I heard there. But I also relate to that with the international work. Like, this wasn't a shock for me. Like, I'm like, yeah, companies have been doing this since time. Like, it's it's like international conglomerates are just people who have a lot of remote work. <laughs> but um, it's cool that you got the experience and that you were involved with the, you know, that one. That's an interesting name, regardless yeah. or whatever. But, um, but you were there, like, early from what I would gather by your timeline or was it were you involved uh, were you there uh, during the the pop run of this company <laughs> no I came in after actually I came in after towards uh, when way. they had already they had already put in place some uh, uh, some internal uh, structure to prevent uh, what they eventually uh, allegedly uh, <laughs> allegedly did or did not do so uh, um, so let's just be clear because the company was saved you benefited and that was dope you're one of the people <laughs> whose jobs got in theory protected by the action and justified the defense of keeping it open there we go i mean i remember i was still working there when they were talking about it and there and i was like dude to be honest from an insider's perspective and there's nothing you know this is all public knowledge these people there was a lot of jumping ship at the at one point you know what i mean and we were just there like all right well we're going down with the titanic if it does but you know, this was after it had been in the media, and but then it came back in the media, and you know, it was just a it was a learning experience. You know what I mean? In between that and the other job, I did also another job that was interesting, which was I represented uh, Talus at small claims court. So I would go to all over Quebec, and I would be like, "Yes, the client in question has you know uh, owes the company X amount of money for X reason, and I'm here to represent our interests. Here's a proof." and you know presented to the judge and present our case so i did that which uh you know that's where i honed my uh my public speaking qualities uh, i was going to say activities <laughs> qualities i guess i don't know you know my Hold skills up. my public speaking skills so as a paralegal companies can hire you to mm -hmm. show up in small claims court on their behalf yeah correct correct so there's no lawyers cannot present a company in small claims court but they, however, can send a paralegal or another employee, like management or something, to small claims court. And lawyers can help you present your case by pre preparing it, but they cannot physically be there and be the one that speaks for the company, right? So that's where paralegals become handy, and they, uh, they're the ones that are like, I'll go, I'll speak, I'll, I'll, I'll settle your case. So there's a lot of major companies that have paralegals in place doing exactly that type of work. Say a word. That's a big yeah. one. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that, that I didn't even know companies couldn't go into small claims court. But uh, yeah. fair enough. So you basically then understand how to move with the sharks, and you understand the legal system of Quebec. Yeah. Pretty well. Um, and a lot of the sectors that are hot topics right now in Montreal, and so that's pretty practical life experience. Um, so I guess, uh, did you have a consulting thing? Was that also a thing I saw on your page somewhere? Or is that just uh, a page yeah, for yeah, you well, as a paralegal? Yeah, so that's going to actually tie in with what I'm about to say. But my on the side, what I did was I, I had a uh, paralegal coaching career uh, activities. So essentially, um, remember when I said I started in this industry, I knew nobody, I needed guidance, et cetera, et cetera. I found guidance by joining the Canadian Association of Paralegals at a young age, and I was elected uh, director uh, on the board of directors uh, fairly young, and I did two uh, mandates there. 
Uh, one of them was as a uh, the manager in charge of reaching out to students, and uh, we called it the mentoring division. And so what I did there was uh, with uh, the help of my colleagues, I went around all over Quebec to the schools that provided the schooling, the diploma necessary to become a paralegal. And I presented the association. I talked about my career, my career path. Um, that gave me, you know, more, you know, public speaking uh, opportunities that gave me um, the ability to, you know, and, and the hunger to want to do a little bit more, something different than, you know, just sitting at a desk and, and doing a nine to five. That is essentially why, because I did that. And that also, what I refer, what I mean by that was, um, I helped a lot of other paralegals in their career early on, and I guided them, um, and I mentored them. I provided them, you know, with the, you know, resources on where to go get work, who to, uh, what kind of industries we're hiring, uh, what are the, everything, um, everything in relation to, you know, how to, how to, how to improve your career. Uh, I ended up eventually opening up my career coaching firm. Uh, I did that on the side. Um, I did that to, uh, you know, make ends meet, uh, you know, during the early days of the pandemic, so to speak. My, uh, my last client was a, uh, a young lady from uh, Florida. Her husband is from Quebec and they're moving uh, to Quebec and they want to become, uh, she wants to transfer her legal experience to Quebec legal experience. And so I was basically working with her to make her understand how can you do, how can you transfer that knowledge? How can you get the best, the most out of it? How can you maximize that experience? So that's what I did, which, you know, again, it's, you know, helping people, listening to their needs, guiding them and through, you know, experience the uh, systems that they don't understand, you know, more, more of what I've always done. All right. So we understand what you do for fun or sorry, not for fun, but like professionally and whatever but i know that alex montenegro likes trains and that's super fun i'm super curious about some of the other sides of your life that you'd be able to share with us before we get into the the part where you're like well i'm a politician now um so i'm a i was a workaholic for a very long time <laughs> i was a workaholic that had to have two burnouts because that's all i did you know i just work 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 you know, when I went home, I worked some more. I was, I was first one in, last one out. Um, but after the second time around, I, I figured out what I was doing wrong because you know burnouts aren't exactly a sign of pride. Um, they're just a sign that you're trying to do too much uh, at the same time, and that there's a better way of doing things. And that's when I started uh, uh, looking into my hobbies and reconnecting with my inner child, so to speak. And uh, what I absolutely love the most is actually stand-up comedy. I love watching stand-up, whether it's live or whether it's in person. Uh, sorry, whether it's in person live or whether it's on TV or YouTube. You know, stand-up to me has always been something so uplifting, so positive that just makes me laugh. And it's something that you know, I I I, I experienced a lot of it. You know what I mean? I even did stand-up once because you know I said fuck it. I'll, sorry. <laughs> oh, you can swear. I, I'm trying to be all respectful so that maybe other political candidates don't brand me as incapable of behaving. I hear you. I hear you. Well, you know what? I said to myself, you know what? To try, and that's exactly what I did. I gave it a try, and uh, next thing you know, I was I was up next one night at uh, this place called the Art Loft, and it was a beautiful experience. You know what I mean? The the, the comedic 
the comedian the comedian community in Montreal is is a wonderful, beautiful community full of diverse people with different stories to tell, different styles to tell them in. And you know, if, if I had to pick a hobby, one thing that I, I could do, it'd definitely be that. You know, enjoying them and then you know, maybe one day going back to it. Who knows? <laughs> Montreal comes out ten years later. Let me tell you about Montreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I guess, uh, what, what made you decide, okay, before that, how did you get to thrive NDG? Cause I know that, that is a thing that you're involved in because you solicited me and I joined the group. I was heavily, yeah. I was solicited. I'm going to put it out there to, to thrive by more, by Morrow over here. <laughs> uh, listen, I, we have a mutual friend, right? Flaco and uh, shout out to Flaco. Thanks for making this happen because, you know, without you making this happen, you know, without you hooking up with Holden and Holden coming into my life indirectly through you, I wouldn't be here. You know, we wouldn't be interviewing these people. So shout out to Flaco, shout out to everybody in the BX, Viva La Mesa. And, shout and, out Flaco. Uh, I like to call him <laughs> Flacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> funny because you know the world is small right the, the, the world is tiny and uh, you yourself uh, are uh, are one or two persons removed from uh, you know the local rap scene which you know I myself am as well and so you know we have mutuals in, the, in that in that world I'd as argue well I'm pretty involved in the local scene but <laughs> but like yes I hear what you're saying we definitely have mutuals that I'd probably be able to connect a lot of dots in <laughs> I met one or two persons removed in the sense that you know the, I think like you know Coolman and them so you know that's that, that's what one yeah. one or two person. Cool man's about right? play right now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, I hear what you're yeah. saying. But yeah, yeah. So uh, listen, I uh, I saw what you were doing and I thought it was great. And this was about a year ago or so. So before any of these elections happened, and I thought, you know what, it would be great to have someone that can actually interview these people that are running to make sense of all of this because we're reading what's said in the paper. The paper is biased because of some connections that you can all easily Google um, for yourselves, allegedly, and so forth. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I thought, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity to have an independent view uh, and behind the scenes of the candidates. And that's, that's kind of how I added you there, you know what I mean, as a, as a member. And then, and then, you know, I think it was just, you know, it was meant to be because, you know, you kind of said, hey, I want to interview the candidates. And I was like, oh, about that. I, I kind of want to do that too. So let's, let's work together. And then he's like, again, so then this man, just so y'all know, emails like everybody and then goes, I'm out. I'm going to go run. Have fun. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't planned. That's the thing. It wasn't planned. I mean, I've always been interested in politics, municipal, federal, or provincial. And, uh, you know, the opportunity came to, uh, to run and represent a district that I'm very close to, that is very near and dear to my heart, that uh, a lot of people that I care about are in. So... You know, I said, you know, I think it's best if I remove myself from the interviewing process. And, you know, we, I threw out the initial ball out there and the candidates replied, you know, and they said, yes, you know, and then it's just a matter of, you know, scheduling it with them. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you have someone else coming along afterwards. You have two other people that just went on. Uh, you know, Suma, uh, Suma Montgomery is pretty, but not her. Uh, yeah, well, she kind of implied in a post one time, but uh, not her. But Annalisa said she's interested, and then I ran into this dude in the street, and he gave me this thing, 
which was very helpful. And I think I just put it, I don't know, I guess this is phone number's fine. He's a politician, whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he uh, handed me that and said, yeah, I'm down. He thought I was his uh, political opponent at first because I had made a comment about politics. And I'm like, nah, but I want to talk to y'all. I'm super interested in that. I've heard your name before. I've never met you. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that's Peter. That's Peter. And uh, so for me, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll try harder to book more people after. But so far, I haven't had to try that that hard. But I haven't really, like, reached out to anybody big yet because you want to have some episodes out before you, you know, you don't want to be like, hey. And they're like, why should I talk to you? And I'll be like, well, that's a good question. Um, I can't do the fancy stuff like the Martin guy was doing with Ballarama. I'm not. I'm not fancy like that. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> a little bit more low key. It's a different kind of podcast. I get it. Well, it's more like, yeah, not as famous. That's exactly what I'm saying. I don't know how high profile these people really want to go with their life. I was like straight up. My first reaction to this is, y'all want to talk to me? And then I realized that in some cases there's no other options. And I'm like, say a word. When there are no other options, being an option is great. <laughs> number one by default. <laughs> I guarantee you there's at least like the first guess was like, you know what? Maybe nobody else is going to ask me this time around. <laughs> hey, listen. That's me. So I'm here. But you know what? I'm, I'm small potatoes next to other people that are running. You know, I'm the political rookie. So, That's you know, fair. You had, uh, you know, you have other people coming on. I'm sure I'm as not, the campaign I'm like goes on. Sorry? I'm like 0% worried about it. I haven't tried hard. I mean, I've tried so not hard that I'm not, like, stressed about it. If I had tried hard and then everyone turned me down, I'd feel sad. But, like, the one time I reached out, they said yes. I'm like, well, let's do it then. We'll just keep inevitably reaching out. But I'm also like, uh, you know, I only have a limited slot. So we'll see how it goes. And uh, I'm mostly interested in this part of town, to be honest, because, like, it's kind of also, like, not that helpful to cover, like, also just pick some random guy from PNUV right now at this point. <laughs> that wouldn't be, like, you know, useful for the overall mission. Um, but why did you get involved with the movement Montréal? Um, they're basically the party that represents me as a Montrealer, my experience as a Montrealer. They're a party that uh, stands for what is right, you know what I mean? They're not trying to get caught up in the scandals of the past. They're trying to forge a new way forward. They're trying to put forth, uh, you know, the people's uh, issues that matter to them the most. So we're talking about gentrification. We're talking about uh, police brutality. Uh, we're talking about, you know, bilingualism in the city. Um, we're talking about a lot of issues that are, that are key uh, to the people that are closest to me. And so I found myself in this party. And it's through uh, connecting with people, um, you know, and presenting myself and taking a chance and, and speaking up that I got the opportunity to run in, uh, in Snowden. You know, I, uh, I basically said, I'd like to run in Snowden. And then I presented my case why. And uh, the party has its selection process. And, uh, you know, after a few interviews, eventually, um, you know, they said, uh, you know what? I think you're our guy and then and then they made it official and then here we are a few months later <laughs> or a month or two later so now you're a political candidate going against people as you've just said to me that are probably more well-known that's what i deduced from what you said that you're you're like an underdog in the snowden fight 
And I've yeah. seen underdogs walk around Snowden and hang up signs before because I'm at Snowden. I, I think the Metro. Like I'm happy to. It's my Metro, right? So like, I happen to have watched this 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 process play out. So I get like curious about a bunch of stuff as a voting dude. Why do I vote for a, a Morrow? And I don't mean it like in like the sense of what can you do. I'm starting to realize that like at the city councilor level, there's there's only what you can do. But like, so you're there, and y'all are basically, as I understand this, um, working to advocate for stuff and oversee things and all of these good things, which you have a bunch of experience in, and you understand legislations and and whatever, etc. So with that, let me get into how does somebody like you actually make a stamp in an election? And I don't mean that in a rude way. I mean that in like if people are going to vote for you, they need to know that your campaign going to bring some heat kind of thing. Yeah, well, so how does one like me, like myself as a rookie, what do, what can, what do I bring to the table? Well, I think it goes down to who am I as an individual? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, um, you know, Christian was a, was a Christian Arsenal was on your show and he was a quote unquote rookie when he was elected and you know he's done some wonderful things for uh, for Loyola and uh, you know uh, I think that you know that him and others are great examples of what uh, what you can accomplish if you just try so what do I bring that's very easy my entire professional career and life has been about you know uh, being a people person you know being a person that bridges gaps being a person that you know I'm the finder and the doer I'm the one that stands up speaks up and says you know asks all the questions so in a sense what you get from me is you get the person that's not gonna rubber stamp anything that that comes sent his way that's gonna ask questions when questions need to be asked that's gonna read documentation that gets sent to him an hour before a meeting or half an hour before a meeting i'm gonna be the guy that picks up the phone when you call him that's gonna make himself available to your concerns i'm gonna be the guy that's gonna use part of his discretionary fund uh, fun to help out in the community in ways that I can, you know, it depends on the situation, but you know, there's things that you could do. What's your uh, discretionary fund? Well, basically there's like a, there's a salary for a city councilor, and then there's like an expense, uh, that's attached to it. Like, you know, like a spending fund basically. And, uh, you know, it's public knowledge. The last available publicly available information was that the city councilor makes about, uh, 54,000 and they had like 16,000 in discretionary spending. And so for discretionary spending, you don't need to, you can spend it as you like, because uh, it's discretionary, but I could use it to, you know, help out people in the borough uh, when they call me for certain for certain things, you know what I mean? It, it, it's really discretionary, so it depends. If someone calls me and they tell me, I can't find food at the food bank, where do I go? What do I do? What are my resources that are locally available? Well, I could do something like say, you know what? Let's figure this out. Let's go to the store. I'll give you 50, I'll give you like a groceries worth of, uh, of shopping for the week and we'll work together to find you, you know, emergency food uh, um, uh, uh, solutions. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll put you on a food bank waiting list. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll visit the, uh, the, the, the NDG pantry or the Sunshine pantry together. Uh, you know, there's different ways you can use that money that would impact people positively. And uh, all this to say is that you know, you get with me someone that is definitely a uh, is definitely learning, has great intentions, stands up for people, is not afraid to uh, ask questions, is not afraid to be shut down because you know I'm not there to just disagree with people because I don't like them. I'm there to 
produce and bring forth results because the district has been suffering for long enough. There's no way, there's no way that you can look at, you know, the district and say, it's been like this for 40 years, 40 years, four zero, and every district around it has prospered. Why has this one not, you know? And I'm the guy that knows this because I've been around long enough to know that it hasn't changed and it needs to change. So you get that in me, you get that hunger, you know, you get that will. You're not gonna get someone that's complacent. You're not gonna get someone that's beholden to his previous bosses. You're not gonna get someone that's gonna be told, you know, what to do. You're gonna be told, I'm only gonna be told what to do by the people that I work with. And the people that I work with are the people, you know, the ones that are gonna elect me. That's fair. Um, so you, you've been like walking around and doing stuff lately. And I say that because, I mean, I'm trying to like watch you guys do your, your politics stuff and it looks like a lot of walking around. And then I was watching your crack street picture and I'm like, say a word, let me contribute. And if I happened to be outside and pulled up my phone, cause you're feeling trash right now. It's trash. And then we were like, West side of NDG gets no love. And I'm like, it does get no love. That's true. There's not a lot of love given here. <laughs> and uh, so, like, with all of that, I mean, without sounding completely pessimistic to the situation, it's one thing mm -hmm. to take pictures, but, like, what do we do with that? Like, how do you, like, action that in terms of, like, bringing it to a place where you can do something with it? Well, you know, you got to secure the funds to change, you know, to change things. You know what I mean? You got to pressure. You got to come together uh, with borough council and find solutions together. Uh, to improve it, right? I mean, we are the largest borough. We have the largest budget. There's no reason why we should, why our roads should look the way they look. You know what I mean? And part of that gets done by working with the elected and unelected officials. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that there's people in power that don't get elected. And whether you like these people or not, you have to learn to work with these people in order to get what's best and what's to maximize the return for the people that you represent. And that's what I'm trying to do, you know, if elected. I'm trying to see what the actual budget is being spent on, not the Coles note version of the budget. I want an actual copy of the budget so I can look through the financial statements of the borough to understand and maximize the local dollars. And what I mean by that is I want to bring the spending, as much of the spending that gets done outside of the borough, inside the borough. And so when it comes to roads, Let's look at who can do the roads locally. Let's look at what the solutions are in order to not just patch up, but in order to get to the source of the problem. Why are roads in why are the roads on Queen Mary and Isabella, for example, why do they look like they were bombed recently and they're right next to like you know close to million dollar duplexes? It's not you know why is why is Queen Mary in the in the in the situation that it's in? It shouldn't be you know. Yeah, they are literally selling like half million million dollar homes on like Rosedale and I cycle down Rosedale like often and it is not a good street. I was thinking about that too. It's like imagine that like you buy this million dollar house and the street's like wrecked. I mean you would probably know that before copping the house, but still like, you know, it's just the concept of it. It's like I mean, I live here so I'm like feeling it, but I don't really think about it. And um I think it is an interesting point that you're like, I want to go look at the budget and do what I do for a living. <laughs> like that's, that's a pretty good answer. What can I do? And then I suppose the rest of it is just politics and negotiation at that point. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely going to be a lot of, you know, like, okay, well, who's in charge of this? Who makes the final call? And then, 
you know, it's it's about building bridges at the end of the day. Like, you know what I mean? It's, you know, those in power will tell you, you know, if you do X for me, I'll do Y for you. And by that, I mean, you know, if you side with me with this motion, I'll side with you on this motion. And you know what? Uh, that's how you get things done. You compromise, you know what I mean? And that's, that's where your ego or your lack thereof comes into play. You know, it, it becomes a powerful tool for you. Yeah, um, it does. You know, I guess the only fear then with that is how do you avoid rubber stamping things you don't want to do if it comes down to compromising? Or I guess that's literally just part of what has to happen. To a certain extent, yes, but you have your values also, you know what I mean? And you have your constituents you're beholden to. So, you know, there's lines you won't cross if you have any values. Right. You know, like, like I would not go out of my way and, you know, destroy a political opponent's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I would not go out of my way and destroy a political opponent's pamphlets or promotional material just because I don't like them. Wait, that's that, that's that, the kind of thing that way. It might have been done by someone or not. You can you can just Google it. You know what I mean. But that's not the kind of values I have. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm here for myself, the people, the people that I represent, which is you know people that look like you, like me, like myself, like my family, uh, my friends. You know, it's a little bit of everything. You know, and uh, you know that's just not in my values. You know what I mean. So, what do you think are the most important? Um issues that you have deduced from the Snowden land through your street investigations? Well, there's a lot more to come, actually, because I'm in contact with a lot of people, uh, some business owners, some homeowners, uh, some residents. Um, one thing I've, I've noticed a lot is the neglect. It's just, it's blatant. You know what I mean? Again, 39 years of the same individual representing the area, and there's literally within the same district huge disparities between the west and the east side of the Dakari. You know what I mean? Huge neglect. So it's about uplifting the entire borough, the entire district, and not just playing favorites. You know what I mean? And so you're I think saying that's ca care more about the NDG side and less about the Cotonet side? <laughs> yeah, that's literally what it looks like when you go there. That's literally what it looks like. I mean, like that to me, the carries the cutoff point. Like, I mean, I know you're still kind of NDG at Snowden, but you're basically code the names right after. So, like, it's kind of what it is. Yeah. But, like, that's fair. So, how does, how do you do that? Like, I, I saw some pictures of look at what other boroughs are doing. And I'm like, say a word. Does that one have its street name and lights up top? Like, what are some of the stuff you would, like, spearhead to actually, like, improve it, given you've been talking, thinking a little bit? Give us a little taste of, a, of an initiative you would run. So, for now, I've been talking about it a little bit, and, uh, you know, the campaign is just getting started. It officially doesn't start till September, so this is, like, the pregame. And one thing I've noticed was... <clears throat> One thing I've noticed is I, I look around the surrounding boroughs. What has been done in Villeray? What has been done in Plateau? What has been done in the Sudwest? And then I look at our, our borough and I'm like, you know what? There's stuff that doesn't make sense. And what is the inexpensive quick fix, right? And that's simple. It's, you know, better garbage cleanup, uh, you know, um, you know, benches, you know, I, for, for people to walk and sit and make it an inviting area. Uh, and also the, the lights, you know, the lighting, Okay, so specifically for the lighting, <coughs> sorry, specifically for the lighting, I put the example of what's been done on, on uh, Monk Boulevard in Villemar, 
And in Villamard, what they did was they put the lights at St. Patrick and, uh, and, uh, and Monk. Uh, and it basically creates like an entrance, you know, it creates a visual entrance. It also adds light. So there's the safety factor and it makes it more viewing and it makes it more inviting to walk on the area. Putting something like that at, let's say, Victoria or Queen Mary designates that area specifically as a commercial area, like a little booming area, an area where you want to go, an area that's exciting. Just in terms of getting people to go to, let's say, Queen Mary or Victoria and take Instagram pictures and say, like, look, I'm here, look. Just, just to get that, it's foot traffic that you're bringing in. You know what I mean? And that's something those two areas need badly because of various reasons, such as construction, such as neglect, such as, you know, the lacking investment in infrastructure, their sidewalks, all that fun stuff. So I think it's very important to actually beautify our commercial arteries. You know, that's huge. If you don't beautify them, if you don't make them more inviting, you're not going to want to go. I'll give you an example. It's not a commercial artery, but it's a big mall in Cote d'Ange, Plaza Cote d'Ange. No one wanted to go to Plaza Cote d'Ange 20 years ago because of how it looked. And in the last five years, look how much better it's gotten. It's a lot more inviting. People are going Sorry, in. I have no idea what it exactly. looks like because of what it used to look like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a lot more. It's a lot different. I swear you go. It's worth it. It's a lot different than what it used to be. And if you don't, I'll put pictures on it on Instagram and, I, and Facebook. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, I want to go, but I don't know that I really want to go just to look at how the mall got renovated. Um, be like, wow, change. <laughs> so we got a comment, though, that said they don't agree with the monk thing in terms of the lights. It isn't more inviting. It's just like the last cheap place in the city. Fair enough. But I guess it's an effort to. Nah. So, okay, here's an, a flip to that question. Then is that not the risk of gentrification increasing over some of these efforts? I mean, the, the, the alternative is leaving it the way it's always been for the last 39 years. And don't you think that the residents deserve a little bit more love from the borough? Don't you think they deserve less neglect? Don't you think that people that live in that area deserve just as much TLC from city center and from the borough offices than everyone else? Why should the people there live in basically the conditions that well, we've been in for the last year? There's a, I'm gonna argue. There's a difference between fixing the road and making it like insta nice. Those are not full. There's a, there's a middle ground in there where like there is a middle ground is all I'm saying. Because uh, as a person who lives there, I'm going hold up. Do we really want to go that far with it? Do I want the streets paved? Kind of yeah. Actually, I never thought about it till today. It's kind of whack how bad the streets are. Yo, they just did a patch too. Like it was like. I don't know. You could walk through the whole patch in about 27 seconds. So it wasn't a very long patch of fielding. And I'm like sitting there going, okay, fair enough on that point. And I'm not saying that beautifying it's not an issue. I mean, like, it's happened, but then we can also look at the consequence on Monkland of like what happens and they're trying to do stuff like that on Summerled. And so there's an impact of going too far, in my opinion, with the beautification across everything. However, I'm not hating it at Snowden personally because that's really not right where i'm at it's all the way over there and it feels like it should be kind of commercial but i don't know do you feel there's like a balance then that has to be maintained between those factors i guess absolutely balances have to be maintained but at the same time we're in a capitalist system and there's only so much we could do that doesn't mean that we cannot help and provide support to existing commercial uh tenants that doesn't mean that we cannot provide uh support to uh residential tenants as well 
um, you know, it, it all goes hand in hand with the evolution of, a, of an area. I mean, if the money isn't spent, I would ask that person that's watching, if the money isn't spent on, you know, to be fair, I visual... follow, the follow up question was mine. I was curious. <laughs> but... uh, well, if the money isn't spent on visual, visually appealing uh, items to spruce up the borough, where do you think all that money is going to go? Because it'll be spent on something we won't know where it's spent on. You know what I mean? Like we won't see the actual impact. So, and I'm not, again, I'm asking this now because I'm curious. So if I hear what you're saying is effectively it's better to use the money in direct ways like that than in corrupt ways. I mean, I never said that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but I'm, I'm but like, okay, not corrupt in the darkest of ways, but in less transparent ways that could be corrupt, could be because it's not transparent allegedly so forth and so on right <laughs> uh, fair enough i understand there are legal implications to slanderous claims i'm not trying to be slanderous i'm trying to understand the the, the mentality behind it because that's what people are going to think about that's the truth of it i mean you gotta you gotta look at the state of, of snowden generally speaking victoria queen mary and ask yourself where is the money being spent you, it doesn't matter if you don't want to vote for me. That's fine. I, but got, like, I got told it was Monkland. Everybody says they spend it on Monkland. <laughs> no, but you got to ask yourself, where is all the money being spent that the borough is giving to city center? The borough is giving to the city offices of the borough. Like, it's not, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Are you there's, saying that like there's a budget for the Snowden area in particular that is separate than, say, where Monkland's money goes that in theory should be going into that part of it? that like isn't happening or isn't transparent or we don't understand where it's going so there's there's budget there's the borough budget and that it, that in itself is incredibly nebulous document that you know you have to fight tooth nail to get a copy of and even at that you get the Coles note version of it so i cannot fully answer that question for you but the money that gets sent to the borough then gets sent to city center and then the city center takes some of that money to spread it out to other boroughs, but and then sends us back our money and says, "Here, this is x x amount is what you get, and that's what you get to spend." And then that amount is divided between the districts, and certain projects see the light of day based on whether or not you are on good terms with the person in charge, whether they are elected or unelected, depending on you know flavor of the day. So it's a lot of you know uh, you know wheeling and dealing sort of so to speak you know it's a lot of uh you know coming to compromises trying to find solutions that help everybody you know? and uh, you know it's it's, it, it's not it's not that difficult if you're uh, if you have minimal people skills to actually start a conversation about wanting to change something in a specific given area you know what i mean you gotta want to have the conversation you know if you're standoffish uh, if you have zero interest in working with others, you're not going to do anything for the borough. That's fair. I'm not going to say I know who standoffish or not, but I get the feeling from your frustration that maybe people might be standoffish that are currently in power, and we should all think about that as we go into voting. Yeah, I don't even know how I would learn who's standoffish. How do you find out more about, like, is, I guess there's those actual city council meeting things that you all probably do that actually are real things <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly if you actually attend city uh, city council meetings if you watch them online uh 
if you happen to have friends Say that right. work. I didn't even know they were online. I just found out today I could watch city council meetings online. If you happen to have friends that work at the borough offices within earshot of things, if you happen to have friends of friends that are in the area every single day that, you know, I'm a people person. I know a lot of people. That's just how I am naturally speaking for absolutely no reason whatsoever on a completely set aside the whole politics. And so, you know, you, you get to know what some people's working styles are like. And at the end of the day, you kind of figure out what works best for certain people and what shouldn't work for them. That's fair. Um, so as far as like, what, what is the difference between a pre-campaign and a campaign? What starts in September with the campaign? So, so the difference is we're doing stuff already and everybody has said, oh, damn, everybody's running. Let's start running. <laughs> it's, uh, no, I'm kidding. We are basically just in pre-political, pre-campaign mode, which is, you know, it's a more condensed and more relaxed version of campaign. You know, we're going out there, we're meeting and greeting people. We're talking to the people in the parks. We're talking to the business owners. Um, you know, that's our thing. You know what I mean? We, we don't need to do Zoom meetings with associations in order to speak to people from different multi from different cultures because we are the different cultures. We are our party as a whole connected with these individuals. That's a shots fired if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I don't have to talk to an association to understand the needs. I will talk to them. Don't get me wrong. I will talk to them. I will make time for them. I will go visit them but I don't need to initiate a conversation about the needs of the people by talking to their representatives. You know, I am the people, you know, I work with the people. I, my family, you know, benefits from these services. My family is still in the borough. My family uses all the borough services, you know? Yeah, that's nifty. So like once the campaign starts, it's just this, but more of it. Like, I don't yeah. know what the actual difference is, or is it just that y'all started early and then everyone's doing it now and now everyone's just campaigning because of Ballarama? I'm not saying because of, but like, y'all were out there taking your picks and doing your, we're running, we're here. But to be fair, I've been hearing like Cordero smack talking and whatnot earlier in the year. Like, it's not exactly, like everyone wants you to know there's an election this year since way earlier this year in a way that I've never seen before. And I guess it matters now because you have new competition for attention as we found out today. How do you think yeah. the federal election that decided to come earlier than your election is going to impact things with this election? So I think I had the, I had the notification here. I think it said the 20th. Well, he's calling yeah, election I, September 20th. Yeah. He's See, going I have, on I, Sunday to dissolve parliament to do whatever is what I read. So you see his election is called for for the 20th. So the 20th of September, that, that means we're going to have like about a month basically of campaigning and then there's an election. Do you understand? So the, the, the federal election will be done before, uh, before our thing is done, which is November 7th. That's fair, but you now have to get, and I'm saying this realistically, cause that's my first thought. And I don't know if it's just concerns, but I was wondering about it. I'm like, say a word, how am I going to get anybody to give a shit about me interviewing local politicians if they're only going to care about federal people for the next like while. But then after that, there's like two, three weeks of post-election blah, 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 bleeds. And then people are going to like be like, oh yeah, there's a Montreal election. 
You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, it seems like it's one of those big ones where it's like, whew, that seems like a hard thing to cut through the noise of. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not even saying you. it's going to even be a challenge. Maybe everyone's just so worked up on elections, it just works in your favor. And you're like, we're here too. Yeah. So in Quebec, the national elections for municipalities are all on November 7th. So we're luckily, we're not the only municipality that's going to be in elections. There's going to be people in Laval that are running. Uh, people in Mulgay that are running same election day November 7th. Oh, like the whole province's big city areas are going to be doing this Well, it's the election if you google it, uh, you'll see the elections are basically they take place on November 7th for municipalities in all of Quebec and so we're gonna have the benefit of you know the entire province realizing that we're still in elections after the federal elections happen so it might die down a little uh, the interest in between now and September 20th, which is fair uh, I mean, it's a big, it's going to take up a lot of media coverage, but that doesn't mean that, you know, nothing is happening on the ground. That's going to be a great time for us to regroup, focus, re-energize and strategize and, and, and build out of, you know, build, build from there. You know, it's, it might just end up being to our advantage that there is a federal election that was called and that is going to be, you know, contested on, uh, you know, in, in less than six weeks, I think at this point, like five weeks. Ah, man, it's the, I don't know. He said, I'm doing this with the minimum number of days legal so I can go, I'm, this is Holden projecting his thoughts, so I can go get my majority government because wah, wah, wah. Um, and then everyone's like, I don't know if I want that, including Canadians, and it didn't matter. And I'm like, it's not a good look. I mean, it might be legitimate, but it's not a good look. <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely gives you a lot to think about uh for this election and next i mean for a party that promised so much to get elected and then failed uh delivering a lot of what it promised including reforming election laws um it's a bit of a disappointment and and that's all i'll, I'll say for federal elections that's <laughs> we'll <fair>. to... <laughs> so um i guess uh do you have any like <laughs> no one wants to have an election just popped up in the comments. That's facts. No one wants this one. We want the Montreal one. I think everyone wants the Montreal election, though. I think that one we do really want. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be exciting no matter which way you look at it. You know what I mean? For the first time ever, there's a party that's actually out there representing what actual Montrealers look like. We have we have the same number of, elect, of, uh, of uh, candidates that are male and female. We have... Uh, we have candidates with very different uh, social and ethnic backgrounds. You know, we have candidates with different experiences that bring different things. We have business owners. We have community outreach workers. We have, um, you know, um, you got paralegals. <laughs> got a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? And and I think that's the exciting part about our part, our campaign, and where we're bringing it. You know, we're doing things differently and you're either going to like it or you're going to hate it and it's okay if you don't like it but you know what if you do keep watching it's going to get better i just want to see you guys go break the rules and not be boring that's my only concern about everybody in this is so many of the politicians do boring things because they like the I, suburban more than they care about anyone else i hear you i mean uh personally for me I, i'll actually tell you right now i'll tell you right now i haven't told many many people but uh you actually kind of touched on this topic uh, at your last podcast with Christian and like I was going to text you like stop talking about this but I'll tell you right now uh, so if elected one of my promises is to hold a uh, uh, 
like a, I'm going to be basically available by, by doing like a Zoom session podcast every week for half an hour, which is like office hours. You know, I'm here for like for the next hour, half an hour, depending on the schedule. Uh, so people can reach me because I, I'm modern, you know, I'm 35 years old, it's 2021. Um, I think that you should be able to reach your city councilor by other means than just by email or phone or calling 311. You know, I think that you need to be able to, to, to you know, know how to get a hold of them, you know, and part of what I'm going to do is not just do that after, after the elections, if, ele if elected. I actually plan on hosting my own little Zoom cast where I'm going to have my teammates from the NDG Kotenej team and my fellow candidates that are running in other districts. And I'm going to be, you know, interviewing them for, you know, everybody else to look at and everybody else to, uh, to basically say, hey, who is this person? What do they want to do? Because, you know, that's the only way that I'm going to get to uh, meet different people outside of my circle uh, other than meeting them. And uh, it's going to be kind of hard to meet people physically and in person during Corona times, you know? They'll be less willing to to, to meet. So you also, my there's also like hitting the streets isn't really a great way to meet everyone. I know it's like a weird thing to say, but like, I mean, you're only gonna hit the people that let's say you go out in the daytime hypothetically. I'm not saying you do nine to five and you guys do this like every single time type of thing. Well, you're never gonna run into me in the streets because when are you gonna see me? I'm at home, I'm at work, and a lot of things like that. So there's like entire populations of people that you're not gonna meet on the ground and pound tactics. Um, I don't even think it's the biggest reflection. I think it's like a small percentage of people. Like you'll get random, but like you're not gonna get a reflection of like people, people. And that's why I'm like fascinated by how to blend the internet with all of this and like how to create it like i'm like yo why aren't politicians trying to be influencers more i don't mean it like influencers in the sense of like social media personalities but the tactics that influencers use to connect with people are pretty powerful i agree you, you need to be out there you need to connect with people and this is one of the ways you do it especially it's now it's 2021 you know and that's why i'm going to do the podcast it's something that's important it's something to make myself available to people because i'm not just running to potentially get elected to then vanish uh, and not talk to anybody and not represent them, you know, and serve my own interests. No, I'm there to actually be available to them. You know I mean, I, as a paralegal, you're basically available to the people that you work with all the time. You know, you get a cool little iPhone that you get to bring at home so you can be bothered during your time out of office. You know, being the guy that works more than nine to five is just who I've always been. And it's just, ingrained in me and that's what i'm trying to bring to politics in the sense that you know if you're if your garbage isn't being picked up if your street's dirty if your speed bumps aren't being painted properly so that they're visible um you know if uh if parking issues are starting to happen on your street uh if cars are speeding by you know you want to know that you can send me a message and not only will you reach me but you can also like digitally reach me and watch me and, and ask me questions live like this in this format and I think it's very important, you know, there's no reason why I, you know, there's no reason why in 2021, we have to do the same, the, we have to do the city councilor job the same way it's been done for the last 50 years. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know how it's been done, but everything in bureaucracy doesn't make sense 50 years ago. So it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, it seems like some of these, like, I mean, efforts are being done differently. Like they're bringing up Alexandra OAC. I don't remember how to say her last name. And how I'm just picturing her playing Among Us with a bunch of YouTubers and shit. 
and like all these kinds of stuff but like they're really powerful because it forces you to be in a position because honestly i think the biggest issue isn't really like qualifications for the job or what you do when you get there the hardest part of it is like yo i don't know how much i care once you're elected i care until you're elected and that's that's maybe like a bad thing for me as a person but like I just assume you get elected and then it goes into secret mode because you're probably not really going to be able to talk about everything. So you can kind of yeah. allude to stuff. So it kind of gets a little more detached. But I suppose there's a way, if you are able to, I guess, make yourself a more present for us all the time. It's honestly like pre-campaigning <laughs> for the following year because you're just always there. Yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I've been a workaholic. I'm the guy that like likes to, you know, likes to mingle. I'm the guy that that enjoys, contrary to Christian Arsenault, shout out to Christian. I love networking. And you know why? Because I love people. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. I love hearing how, you know, I love learning from people. You know what I mean? And so being out there and 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 you know and, and and networking and hearing people's issues and being empathetic and not taking their anger personally and just putting myself in their shoes and saying okay you've been done wrong you've been let down how can this change and let me get back to you with a pop with a proper solution that's how i see me doing the job you know i'm not going to be the guy that's going to say yeah sure email me and i'll email you back in two three weeks or you're going to have to follow up and you know harass me or show up to the meetings to get an answer you're going to get an answer from it, regardless. You're going to get, at the very minimum, uh, a courtesy reply, like, within minutes of sending me a mail, an email saying, hey, this is an issue. You know why? Because that's just the individual I am. That's just how I've always worked as a person. You know, it's like you're beholden to your employers. And in my case, my employers are the people. So it's just more of the same for me is what I'm trying to say. That's fair. So... Outside of the beautification of Snowden to increase commercial district traffic, what are some of the other things you care about trying to pull off while you're there? Uh, so <laughs> I we want to find a way to uh, beautify the parks, uh, and by, what that means is working together with uh, current uh, blue collar workers to find a solution that allows them to to do their job, the job that they they're doing as uh, to the best of their abilities right now uh, properly because after going to the parks with Matthew Kerr, uh, Matthew Kerr and I went to a bunch of parks and we started visiting them and looking to see, you know, what can change, uh, why is, is it that parks are in the conditions that they're in and the, the overwhelming response we got after speaking to some employees and including a supervisor was that, you know, the number, les effectifs ne sont pas bien utilisés. You know, the people that, you know, the blue collar workers, they're, 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 they don't feel like they're supported enough, you know what I mean? And so one thing I want to do is work together with them to, for them to have the proper support to beautify their parks, to clean up the parks. I want to have a solution uh, within uh, the borough to buy more garbage bins, like proper garbage bins, not pay the ones that are $800, which is what the ones that they have in parks right now cost. If you look, go to a garbage bin at the park, it costs $800. That makes no sense. You know what I mean? And, you know, find a solution to do that. I also want to find why a solution to- Why do they cost to... $800? Like, why are they so expensive? I don't know. That's one thing I want to find out. And I want to find out where it's bought, who we buy it from, and why we keep paying that much money for a single garbage can. Because I was also told that the bench that people sit on at the park 
cost $1,200. And I'm pretty sure that if we, with the buying power that we have as a city and as a borough, we can find better. We can find better prices. We can find better quality. And we can find, we could just do overall better for the people. Because it makes no sense to be paying those prices. That's like going to like Supermarché Metro or something in Westmount and saying, this is what I want. I'm going to pay $17 for this grapefruit because that's just what it costs. You know, when you, you know, you can buy grapefruit for a lot less. Horrible example now that I'm looking back and thinking about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to shop around a little is what I'm trying to say, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the people of Snowden appreciated your job at the people of Westmount. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's dope still. That's not a bad idea. What about eco-friendly initiatives beyond park cleanup? <clears throat> so, so another issue that you see, uh, is that there's not enough recycling that have the recycling garbage and other, uh, you know, the three, uh, like the three bin monster that you see in a lot of boroughs. When you visit other boroughs, you'll see that they're properly spaced between garbage, recycling, and plastic i think it's plastic metal and, and and garbage anyway so putting more of these bins that allow you to do more than just throw garbage is going to help a lot also in the reduction of waste because not only do you have more places to put the put the, the waste uh, be it recyclable or not but it's also going to look better because what we have right now is just open air garbage cans where you know critters at night can go in and throw everything around so there's that that can make a huge impact on uh, on our recycling there's also promoting composting uh everywhere and making sure that whoever wants to compost whoever wants to have that little brown bin they can have the brown bin and i'll make sure of it they call me and they need one they'll get it what about like compost bins in the park and okay so composting is a big one my building now has compost bins <laughs> Nobody in my building but my angry girlfriend who likes to complain about it whenever she takes the compost down. Um, compost, right. They're using plastic bags, and there's a huge education issue. So we currently have a very shittily implemented compost system. They just said do it, and that is the literal worst way to implement a compost system. And now they have these little ones, and they're little ones because they look like students, knocking on my door asking me about composting. And I'm like, there's no way they either there's no they're not doing it they are not convincing a human being these two little ladies that came to my door to go compost they're not convincing a soul okay there's no salesperson up in there you're going against like people that want to throw their trash out like they've been throwing their trash out forever you know my girlfriend just said i signed up to be a bid inspector because i'm so annoyed because it's really that bad right now this and you know if it's in my building it's in all the buildings <laughs> Uh, so how do we actually educate NDG on how to compost correctly? Uh, I think it's uh, part of part of it comes by educating people and using existing resources available to you. So promoting it on groups such as Thrive NDG, you know, fighting link. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm in admin. I got I got to shout them out. You know, they're a great. They're a great bunch. You know, we're all we're all in it together. You know, they're apparently the NDG group that doesn't delete your post and censor your posts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, Somebody tried to tell me to join another NDG group, but they're like, but they'll censor and delete you. And I'm like, well, why do I want to join that group? The guy's like, for reach. And I'm like, but you said they're going to censor and delete me. I don't want to go there. That sounds terrible. <laughs> um, so, um, that's it. <laughs> 
using existing resources. So, you know, posting on groups such as Thrive and other community groups uh, for the area, um, as well as doing educational videos. You know what I mean? It's better, especially during Corona times, to do a YouTube, to link it to like the borough YouTube channel and say, hey, this is how you compost properly. And you know what? Kind of use maybe humor a little bit and use, you know, local comedians to make something like that happen because it'll be memorable and people will say, oh, yeah, I saw that video about composting. So-and-so was in it. And, you know, and, you know, he did something memorable with it because he made it funny. He made it interesting because, you know, not everybody wants to read that little paper that says this is how you compost. Go to this link to find out more information. Call this number. Some people are visual. Some people want nobody wants to read that paper i'm gonna throw it out there <laughs> like it's useful paper and i read the stupid paper but my desire to read the paper was not very high <laughs> yeah i mean you i'm sure you read it when you when you had a chance after you forgot that you had it <laughs> no my girlfriend made a she wrote out what you can compost and what you can't compost and taped it to the thing and then basically was like don't compost that i didn't have a choice man i am like but you know what like it's kind of like it's that hot in montreal that we should all take this stuff a lot more seriously because it ain't gonna get less hot next year and yo yeah. actually this is side concern is there like at all an idea or a plan or even a conversation at the city level about the fact that most of us are not able to air condition in these in these buildings in certain parts of town because the stuff like our windows aren't sealed right thus air conditioning isn't as effective and the buildings just aren't prepared to deal with the upcoming heat waves over the next five six years is that even a conversation i had that epiphany as my windows aren't sealed correctly and my air conditioner doesn't do the job it's in theory supposed to do. And I imagine in lots of parts of Montreal, that's more the norm than not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right that it's only going to get warmer and warmer. And, uh, you know, having proper functioning AC is definitely key. I myself have two ACs on my plates. You know, it's a, you walk in, it's a, it's a walking cooler. You know, that's how I keep my place because it's it's just... You know, when it's heat waves, that's how I keep it because that's how I'd like to, like, you know, I just, I heat up too quickly. Uh, but this isn't about, sorry. Um, there is no conversation that I know of, per se. But that doesn't mean that a conversation can't be started in uh, regarding, you know, um, the increase in uh, temperature uh, and, and, and uh, due to global warming and fluctuating temperatures and what can the city do to provide relief. I know that with the city, provides relief in terms of um, extending pool hours, making sure that, you know, uh, cooling stations exist, such as the, uh, the you know, those kids, uh, those kid parks that have like water fountains and everything, you just go in and it's like misty and everything. Um, I forget the word, the proper term of what those are called, but uh, anyway, so the city provides cooling stations, they, uh, you know, they, they but there's no actual plan to like subsidize, let's say ACs or subsidize fans. Could there be? Possibly. Just yesterday we heard during the campaign uh, debate, one of the candidates, not my guy, but one of the candidates said, I'd like to install a $500 credit to entice people to bike and to buy bike biking equipment and exercising equipment. And that's a great idea, but how come we can't use something like that to maybe entice, you know, AC, uh, maybe not AC, but like fans, you know, like 
something, you know, to, to help I think, people. I think we need the AC. <laughs> well, it's more of a concern AC because, yo, you go to Florida and everything is AC. Like, it's like central air is kind of built into home construction in a way that I, it's not like, because if you go to NDG, these are old ass buildings not built for this heat and i'm in one of them so i'm sitting there going yo my building isn't built for this heat let alone air conditioning right like like yo, my door there's a little crack in the living room where you can see the sun come through where the door you know like i'm saying there are problems bigger than a fan can solve and i'm not saying it's the city's responsibility to solve it but i just got curious as it's been hot all week it is very hot in my room <laughs> Yeah, I know it's very hot. I'm, uh, the only reason I'm not sweating bullets during this interview, and you would see it, is because my AC's on. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I guess it's just something to bring up uh, in your housing dis debates and and such. Are there like actual debate things? Are there like public debates happening? Is that a thing we can participate in? So yesterday there was something uh, called there was a debate at uh, what is called the Institut du Nouveau Monde. And uh, Le Journal Le Droit was the one that put that together. Um, and you had four candidates that are running for mayor. Not all the candidates that are running for mayor and presented slates were present, but four of them were. Um, and in that debate, basically, um, people 35 and under submitted questions. And those questions were given to, uh, were asked to uh, the, the, the people that were running, including Balarama and the competition. Um, there's going to be another debate. That debate was in French. There's going to be an English debate as well, and it's coming soon. Uh, follow my page, um, you know, um, follow my Snowden candidacy page, and you'll see all the um, all the highlights, um, sorry, all the debates that are coming. I'm going to make sure to post them. Um, uh, but there will be probably like one, maybe one or two more debates. Uh, assume that a big a big French one that's going to be televised will be made, and there gonna, there's going to be another English one. Uh, but what about now like one. at this level, <laughs> like face to face, meet the people. I would love to debate my 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 like, people running against me in Snowden. You know, how do we get this going in the park? If anybody that's running in Snowden is watching, or their representatives, go right ahead and contact me after this interview if you'd like, and I'm more than willing to meet you uh, and your team to debate in the park to bring the issues to the people to let them know who the name behind the who the person behind the name is because i think it's important if you really want to represent people if you really want to be the person that's their go-to person you kind of got to meet them you kind of got to show them why you got to be that person for them you know you kind of got to win their trust not just based off the name of the person that referred you and said vote for this person or x person you kind of have to win it for yourself right and mm. so i don't think there's a better way to do it than a debate unfortunately Debates don't happen at the city council, wow. but I'm ready, more than ready and willing to do it. They just don't happen. It's nothing that's ever happened. That doesn't mean it can't not happen, right? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll fucking set it up. Well, I mean, I'll post. I'll go make noise. I don't know that people will play ball, but I'm happy to go do what I got to do to make noise. <laughs> Councilor debates in the park, Snowden Park. Uh, let's do it at the. <laughs> let's do it at a park in Snowden. You I know. Mean, we could do it. Parks and Snowden are not the, but I, you know, honestly, your moves are trend home and Girard for this type of thing is what I'm saying. Maybe Confederation. You got to like be tactful with your park choice. <laughs> like, like I'm I trying wanna... to, th I'm trying to think of like what park in the Snowden area is like not just full of kids and not the right vibe. <laughs> There's uh, well, there's McDonald and. There's, uh, oh yeah. McDonald is a park. That is a good park. I accept. 
McDonald and Van Hoor Park would probably be uh, two parks that would be interesting in terms of size and people that you could reach, uh, especially there's also uh, McKen um, there's also voyons, Mackenzie King Park. Uh, mm -hmm. That park is wonderful to have people because you have a lot of the Filipino community, a lot of the South Asian community that's there during weekends, barbecuing, just living life, enjoying it, you know? And to, to host a debate there, I think it would be an amazing opportunity for whoever ends up doing it. I mean, I'm down. Are you guys down? I mean, I'm down. I wanted to stream that. See, <laughs> yeah, let's get it. I'll host that. That's all I'm saying. I'm I'm neutral. <laughs> there we go. I, I just want to see. I want to see some feisty conversations about real issues. It's one thing to talk to individuals, and y'all are going to present your case, and I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough. But then yeah. watching y'all go at each other's different because that's like, I'm out of that. It's not me. <laughs> I get to just mediate at that point. And I'm like, straight word, I can mediate. That's simple enough. But yo, float that idea. Go tell Balarama. Go get this little city councilor egg on your it's, competition, guys. <laughs> I I don't need the authorization of my, my party leader to uh, put myself out there. Uh, he knows who he selected to run in the party at, uh, in the district. He trusts the person he selected. I don't have to go to a communications director to get their approval to show up at an event like this. You can Zoom so that it's available to even more people if you like. And the three of us running, or the four of us, or whoever else that's running, five, there might be another candidate, who knows, that's running in Snowden. I'd do it. And then you could replicate the formula elsewhere with other boroughs. I'm 100% down, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I don't know how to... I mean, I suppose it's just reaching out to everyone. That's fine. That's all logistics and boring stuff. That is always the worst part of event planning. I'm not really into event planning as much, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, uh, that would be real exciting. Do you have like, anything else that you want to share with the peoples? <clears throat> uh, you know what? Snowden is cruelly missing dog parks. Snowden misses dog parks. They need dog parks. Myself being an owner of a dog, I used to have two dogs. Uh, shout out to Lola, the best dog I ever had, because I, now I have one, but you know, she was the best dog I ever had. Mm. Uh, my girl, she changed my life. Uh, but you know, dog, all dogs deserve to have a dog park to play in. And whether it's, I'm looking at McDonald Park, there's an area in McDonald Park that I think would be wonderful for it. I'm also looking at a section of Van Horn Park that I think could fit a dog park. Um, and I'm also looking at Rosemary Brown Park, which is right away from the carry. Uh, as a dog owner, as a lover of dogs, as a lover of animals, uh, cats, etc., I think that the borough needs something like that. I think that the borough needs dog love, you know, and it needs to show it in the form of dog parks in Snowden. There's no reason why it shouldn't have a dog park. Every other borough has some. Every other parts of the borough has some. And uh, to me, that's one thing if elected i'm gonna definitely make sure to give dogs out there you know because my dog dexter he needs play friends you know so dexter's gonna need play friends at the dog park yeah. and we just got a great comment from ron pogey over on facebook that said cat park and i'm going you know if you do bring the first cat park into the area you may you may have a huge win that yeah you know what cats are great i don't know how we would possibly do that it, but you know it'd be like one huge cage so that they wouldn't just run away i don't know i don't know 
I was still, I threw it in as a joke because it was no, but the dog park stuff's real. And they added the dog park to Loyola, and then I decided I don't like Loyola Park anymore because now it's just dog people talking about dog park stuff, and I'm like, dog politics is boring. It is. You're not a dog owner in the local community. You do not care about these dog people walking by talking about dog stuff. And it's like, yo, I changed the vibe of the park. I'm like, ah, oh, it's way more like dog people. <laughs> I hear you, but that means that there's a need, right? If they're there, it's because there's a need. Because before that, they didn't have that many that many options. And no, I'm, I'm not trying to be like exclusionary of the dog people community and their problems. I'm just saying. And you know what? I'm not even against the idea of dog parks being there. Dogs are lovely people. I just noticed that like I was saying, I'm like, yo, it's different now. It's just a different vibe in the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And, uh, but no, I mean, it's, it is like progress, I suppose, to see stuff change. So I guess it's nice, like it is a tangible, visible use of money, even if people aren't happy with how it got spent in that regard. But <clears throat> it is a visible use of money. Exactly. And that's, and that's what we want, because we've had 39 years of invisible use of money. And that's just not what we deserve. We deserve accountability. We deserve availability. And we deserve someone that's out there for you, not for them. That's fair. So I'll, I'll let your links and stuff will be in the description below and all that good stuff. Um, Y'all can go follow his Instagram and his Facebook campaign page where he'll um, post campaign and non-campaign related pictures. Well, I mean, they're probably all campaign related, but to me, looking at pictures of you eating feels less campaign related. <laughs> I noticed there's a lot of food selfies that go involved in campaigning, and I'm like, say a word. That seems like a fun part of the job. But, uh, well, I, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a small man. You know, I don't wear extra medium. So, you know, I like my good food too. So, and I like supporting local business. So, you know, we're, we're, we're out there. We're out there doing our best. And, and, uh, to anybody watching on Saturday at noon, I'm going to be with Balarama and some of the team members at, uh, Coates and Catherine Metro. And from there on out, we're going to be walking in the area. There's going to be some key places that we're going to be visiting. I won't say where because I don't want the competition to show up there before we do or as they usually do right after. But if you come to Coates and Catherine Metro at noon on Saturday, you'll see us and you'll find out what we're all about in person. That's fair. How long are you going to be there for, for the people that can't show up at noon but can show up later than noon? So I'm going to say this in French for the people that don't know that I speak French. On va être au métro Sainte-Catherine à midi. À partir de midi, on va faire une tournée du corridor Victoria. On va se promener dans les rues avoisinantes. On va être en train de parler aux gens. On va faire du bouche à oreille. On va faire du meet and greet. Alors, on va pas être au métro tout le temps. Donc, si vous arrivez entre midi et midi et quart au métro Sainte-Catherine ce samedi, vous allez nous retrouver. Par la suite, on va faire une tournée des rues avoisinantes. Fair. So... 12 to 12.45 at the med show, and then they're walking around. 12 to 12.15, my man. <laughs> oh. See, you went in French. I was like, because you said call, and call is one of those words where it's like, eh, whatever. I tried. So, yeah, they'll, they'll be there. They'll, they'll wait up, and then they'll wander around that part of town and and uh, yeah. visit and do what they got to do. But, yeah, I appreciate you coming through. Follow him for all the updates with that. Look forward to his podcast that he'll probably launch regardless what happens. <laughs> It's coming, man. It's, it's coming. It's the only way you guys are going to get to know me behind the scenes and my team, right? And it's important, you know? It's it important. Is. I think it is important for people to take the effort to get to know you. 
and your candidates, everyone's like, like you can reach out and I'll be there for you. And I don't know how many people actually do, but you can reach out to all the peoples and, and all that good stuff. And then, yeah, we'll be keeping on trying to talk to pe people. We'll try to set up some debates if that's viable down the line. I feel like we have to wait till after Trudeau's done before we really push that. <laughs> but uh, on that note, though, I don't have a lot more to say at this moment. <clears throat> it was great having you. Thank you to all the people watching. It's always great to see people show up for it. And thank you all watching in the future, the, the YouTubes and wherever you catch this. You're also wonderful. Like, comment, subscribe, all of that. On that note, it's been fun. Do you have any final words to the peoples? Come find out what Movement Montreal is all about. You're going to be surprised. And you're going to love it. Awesome. See y'all. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thank you.